Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is March 2nd, and our chapter reading for today is Deuteronomy chapter 34, the very last chapter in our English Bibles in Torah, in the law of God, in the five books of Moses, the instruction that he gave to the children of Israel from the Exodus all the way until they went into the promised land. All of the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, of origins that we have gone through together. Now the scripture says the coordinates have been laid out that he gave to Moses where he would die and where the Lord himself would take care of the body. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah. Mount Nebo and Pisgah are two twin peaks that are very close together and have a cleft in between them. This is across from Jericho. In other words, you can stand near Jericho and you can look just a bit to the south and, of course, to the east, and you will see the peaks of Nebo and of Pisgah. Pisgah is just a bit higher than Nebo. And the Lord showed all the land of Gilead as far as Dan. This is an incredible statement. You would not believe how far that is and how far you could see all the way to the north as far as Mount Hermon, all of Naphtali and the land of Ephraim and Manasseh. That means he could see the high peaks, not just of Hermon, but he could see the high peaks over on the western side of the great Syrian-African rift the high hills, the mountains of Naphtali to the north. He could see Ephraim and Manasseh, not only Manasseh on the eastern side, but on the western side. That means he could see the peaks of Gilboa, which below it is the great Jezreel Valley called by the Apostle John the Valley of Har-Megiddo, Armageddon. And he could see the plain of Jericho below him as far as he could see all the way to the Sea of Galilee. It is called the city of palm trees because Jericho is truly the lowest city on earth and it is in a dry and arid place. It is a desert and it is a true desert oasis. There are springs there and so it is green all year round. Absolutely spectacular. Now, this is the land, he said, which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to you and your descendants. I have caused you to see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. And so Moses died in contentment. You say, how do you know that? 
because he was a man of God, and he took God at his word. He had pleaded with God. He had asked God in every way, Lord, please let me go over. But God would not do it. And when a man of God or a child of God, when a person who's following God speaks to God and speaks to God and speaks to God, there is a time when you know in your heart that God says it is enough. Abraham experienced that when he asked for the city where Lot lived called Sodom. And God finally said, I've listened to you long enough. And the scripture says, he said, that is enough. And he went up from him over and over again. The Bible is replete with instance after instance when God in his great richness of mercy and grace will allow us to plead with him. Many times we'll grant our request up to a point and then God says that's enough. Now you would say, well, why does he do that? because he is God and he knows best. And the scripture says, So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in a valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows his grave to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. It says, his eyes were not dim, nor his natural vigor diminished. And he could see as well as he could when he was 30 or 40 years old. And his vigor, now that's an interesting word, is the word for freshness or moisture. In other words, his bones hadn't dried up. He was still as sharp as a razor blade. He could still come and go as he pleased. But what this meant was that he could not go out as he did before and lead the people of God. Why? Because it wasn't the will of God any longer for him to do that. And so the Bible says after he died that the children of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. So the days of weeping and mourning for Moses ended. You say, well, how do you know what happened to him? Joshua By revelation of God, just like God spoke to Moses, God spoke to Joshua. And Joshua, no doubt, wrote these things down for the next generation. But I want us to go back, before we go any farther, I want us to go back and look at what the Bible says about the body of Moses. Now, the scripture says that God buried him, but no man knows his grave to this day. Now, can you imagine what it would be like if the bones of Moses would be found? You think the Shroud of Turin got a lot of notice and worship and icon worship and a lot of buzz. Can you imagine finding the body of Moses? Now, it's not going to happen, but just hypothetically think with me here. What would happen? We know what would happen. Can you imagine what the Jewish nation would do? Could you imagine what people all over the world would do? Can you imagine what Christians, those who name the name of Christ, but who are still babes and ignorant, they would think that there was something to be fascinated to the point of worship with. You say, well, now why would you say that? And how do you know that? 
Well, let me ask you, do you remember when the children of Israel came out of Egyptian bondage and they came into the wilderness and they murmured against Moses, they murmured against God, and the Bible says God sent fiery serpents among them and they bit the people and they became very sick and some died. And the scripture says that God told Moses, said, you need to make a brazen, a bronze serpent that looks like the ones that are biting the people. And I want you to hang that on a pole. Now, in order to hang a serpent on a pole, there has to be a cross beam. So Moses made a cross beam on a long pole. That's right, a cross. He hung a serpentoid, a cursed animal, one that was cursed above all other animals. And he hung it on this pole. And oddly, God said, have the people to look at this thing hanging on a pole that became a curse. And when they look, they will live. Now, it was not the serpent that healed the people. It was God. But it was the object that they were looking at that God used to rivet their attention and to exercise faith and trust in God's provision, whatever that was. Now, you know that in the Gospel of John, the Lord Jesus said to Nicodemus, as the brazen serpent was lifted in the wilderness, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. And if he will be lifted up, he would draw all men to himself. And listen, everyone that is saved today has looked unto Jesus to be saved. Why? Because he is the Messiah. You say, well, what if they didn't know his name? How were they saved in the Old Testament? They were trusting God's provision, just like we are. We just know more about that provision than they did. But they knew that one day God would pay the sin debt through his faithfulness, he would send Messiah to take care of all of that. And he did send Messiah and Messiah took care of all of it. That's why when he died on the cross, he said to Telestai, that's what the Greek New Testament says. That means the debt is paid in full. But can you imagine what would happen if they found the body of Moses? You said, well, yes, but why, why did you tell us that story about the brazen serpent? Well, because it's connected to my thesis about what would happen if they found the body and bones of Moses. After 700 years, during the days of Hezekiah, now Hezekiah lived around 750. I'm just giving you an approximate date because that's the date of Isaiah. Isaiah lived during those days and was the court prophet during the days of Uzziah and Hezekiah and so forth. And so the Bible says that during the days of the great revival under Hezekiah, that Hezekiah took the brazen serpent, called it Nehushtan, which means an idle thing, really, the best I can translate that into English, an idle thing, something that had become an idol, and he broke it in pieces. Now, this is hundreds of years after they had come out of the wilderness wanderings. This was centuries after the brazen serpent 
episode in the life of Israel. And here they are keeping this thing and worshiping it as an idol. In other words, they were using it, trying to use it, to touch it, to see it so that they could be healed because they thought there were healing powers in the serpent itself and that brass instrument. No, it wasn't. And so what I'm telling you is we are prone to worship the gift rather than the giver. We are prone to worship the creation rather than the creator. It is within us. And the worst kind of worship in all of earth and time and eternity is the worship of man himself. It's called humanism, where we become the arbiter of what's right and wrong. We become the object of worship. We become an end in ourselves. And we become the creator ourselves in our own minds. And so this This is how I know what would happen if they found the body of Moses. They would be worshiping it. They would set it behind glass. They would have guards. Everyone, I say they, those who found it. It would become a snare to the people of God. It would become a snare to Israel. This is what I believe happened in the book of Jude, verse 8, where it says in talking about not speaking evil of dignitaries, Jude brought up this account in verse 8. Likewise, also these dreamers that defile the flesh, these arrogant people that think they're an end in themselves and the people who do not respect authority, that is God's authority or any of his ordained authority, they are an authority unto themselves. Likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority and speak evil of dignitaries, that is those that God has placed in leadership within the family of God within the church of God, yet Michael, the archangel, that is the chief angel Michael, in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses. Now, can you imagine what that dispute was about? Do you think Satan was was saying, you know, I think we uh, need to keep it a secret like God said we were going to, not it ever be known where Moses' body is because we don't want them worshiping him. No, no, he was wanting to make it known where it was so that he could have another idol for the people to worship instead of God Almighty. And Michael said, you're not getting it. God buried him and he's going to stay buried and nobody's going to find him because no man is going to know. And so Michael had to dispute with him. But notice Michael dared not bring a reviling accusation against him, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Now, you think Michael had any authority? Oh, yes. He was stronger than the devil. He was stronger than Lucifer. And he is going to prove that in the book of Revelation. He is going to win a great battle. But listen, even because you have the stronger hand in something doesn't mean you're disrespectful to people and those who have great authority. And this is why we need to be careful what we say, especially about God-ordained leadership. Now, I'm not talking about being cult-like. I'm talking about being God-like. 
We've got to be careful about this. And many times I will be flipping through the TV channels trying to find something worth watching to let my mind ease from time to time. And I will hear some pastor, some preacher, some evangelist, somebody who says they're anointed of God talking about boxing the devil's ears or they're going to make him do this and make him do that. Listen, if it wasn't for the clothing of the grace of God, Satan would sift every one of us as wheat. This is what Jesus said to Peter, the chief of the apostles, the spokesperson for the apostles. He said, Peter, the devil has desired you to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you and you're not going to have to go through that. But let me tell you something. We need to be careful how we rebuke dignitaries and angelic beings and so forth because they are powerful creatures. You say, well, this is who I am in Jesus. Well, then act like it. You didn't have Jesus going around smarting off to people. You didn't have Jesus talking to people in some kind of condescending way like they are animals because that's not the way the God of heaven acts. And so all I'm saying is there are lessons to be learned even about the body of Moses. And the scripture says, now Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit and of wisdom. For Moses had laid his hands on him, so the children of Israel heeded him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. Now, I'm not going to go into it in depth, but we're going to, from this point on, as we've seen throughout the Torah, we're going to see a lot and hear a lot and read a lot about laying on of hands. Let me just say to you, the laying on of your hands on someone else is a signal, a symbol, a ritual that shows identification. You are identifying with a person. You're identifying with their anointing. You're identifying with their life. You're identifying with their calling. This is why the Apostle Paul, in talking to Timothy, said, lay hands suddenly on no man. He's not talking about laying hands on of fighting. He's talking about laying hands of ordination. And he gave specific parameters. He said, not a novice, not some young person, not some person that's just come into the faith, not someone who's unseasoned. He said, not a novice, lest they be lifting up in pride and arrogance, fall in the condemnation of the devil. Too much, too quick will ruin anyone. Too much, too quick money will ruin anyone. Too much, too quick authority will ruin anyone. Too much, too quick power will ruin anyone. As a matter of fact, it'll ruin some that are seasoned, all of those things. And so what I'm saying to you is, as we go through the Bible, as we walk on our journey through the Bible, we're going to learn more and more about the laying on of hands and how powerful that is in passing on the faith that was once delivered for the saints. For On The Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On The Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.